good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, we're still in the morning. Uh, it's good to be with you all again today. Um, I would say, to be honest, in my opinion, the best thing about chairing a meeting is getting to pick the hymns. So I can only imagine how upset Jordan must have been when I requested one of the hymns and took one of them away from him. Um, but there, there's good reason that I uh, asked that we sing a hymn, which was Amazing Grace, that we've just sung. Uh, Amazing Grace was written uh, a couple hundred years ago uh, by a man called John Newton. Uh, at the, the time of writing the hymn, he was a minister, and uh, he, he wrote the hymn at this time of year, at New Year, um, for a, a kind of New Year service. And uh, the thing with the hymn is that it begins with, with looking back at what's already come at this uh, turn of the year. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, looking back at the state he was once in. And then it, it finishes with looking forward to uh, what he, he still has to come. It reflects on the grace experienced, and then it, it looks forward to gr where that grace is, is leading us. And uh, I would say that that is um, also true of, of the passage that I want to read today in Ephesians 2. Uh, and, and Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, um, was written by Paul. Uh, and uh, likewise, it uh, begins by looking back at the, the state we were once in. And then it, it concludes by looking forward, uh, looking forward to, to where we're, we're being led uh, by God. Uh, so Ephesians 2, and verse 1 reads, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, um, what I want to do today is I want to look at this passage and I want to look at um, how this, this passage brings us from looking back at the, the state we were once in through um, to where we're being led and look at um, not only not only Paul's perspective on that, but also John Newton's perspective on that as well, uh, through Amazing Grace, that that hymn he wrote, and his experience of of that grace and and where it took him from and where it's leading him to and where it's leading us to as well. Uh, the, the hymn starts, doesn't it? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Uh, John Newton describes himself as as a wretched man. Uh, and, and that's similar to how Paul starts, isn't it? In, in verse one, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and so on, uh, through to the end of verse three. And, and both these men 
as they look back uh, to their life, to uh, to their life before uh, before they they trusted in Christ, they they understand that uh, they were in this this state that is is not a desirable state to be in. Uh, Paul describes us as dead. John describes us as, as wretches. They both understand who they used to be uh, without God. But at the time, they wouldn't have understood who they were without God. See, John Newton describes himself as a wretch, but at this time he's referring to, he didn't consider himself a wretch. He, he would have thought himself, I would think, um, quite highly. Um, John Newton, he was a, uh, he was a slave trader. And he was, uh, as a result of that, quite well off. And uh, he was the captain of the ship, not just a, any sailor, but he led his own ship. I would have considered himself to be um, quite, quite high up in society as, as far as uh, that is concerned. He wouldn't have thought of himself as a wretch. Uh, and, and likewise, Paul. So this, this amazing grace that saved the wretch, uh, that that John Newton tells us of. This, this salvation that they experienced that, that took them from this state of wretchedness to this state of being saved. It's the grace that does this and nothing else. We can look at, at John Newton's life. He began life. Um, his, his mother was, was a Christian. That's not what he's saying saved them. And, and through his childhood, uh, influenced by his mother, he would read his Bible, and that's not what he says is saving him. Uh, his his father also was the captain of a ship. Uh, his family would have had great status, but that's not what is uh, is saving him here. It's this grace that saves him. And even after after he's saved, he then turns his life around. He goes from from a, a slave trader to to a minister. But that turning his life around isn't what saved, and that happened after he was saved. Uh, he also was a man with very well-known associates, with good associations. He uh, was in the same church as a man called William Cowper, who wrote uh, the hymn we know, There is a fountain filled with blood. Perhaps not as well-known now as Amazing Grace, but uh, certainly a well-known hymn. He was also, uh, I suppose you could call him a mentor, John Newton, of uh, William Wilberforce, who abolished the slave trade. And John Newton himself was involved in the abolishing of the slave trade as well. He was involved in, in testifying to what the slave trade was like as an ex-trader um, himself uh, and, and bringing society out of that period of time. But these things all happened after he was saved. These aren't the things that saved him. Grace alone is what saved John Newton. And Paul too. Uh, we can think of Paul um, originally called Saul, uh, he was a, a man of uh, great regard in, in the religious world of, of the Jews. He was held up very highly. But that wasn't what saved him. His nationality as a, an ethnicity as, as a Jew isn't what saved him. It's grace that saved Paul too. And it's grace that saves all of us. And also Paul, after his salvation then, we can see he goes on to write... Uh, a very substantial chunk of the Bible. This passage from the Bible we've read today was written by Paul, and yet that's not what saved him because, again, this happened after he was saved. 
And, and we can read through our Bible and through the book of Acts and into the epistles. I mean, the epistles themselves are, are works that Paul's done for God, but we can read of so many different works that Paul did for God. And yet, these aren't what saved him. Grace alone is, is what saved Paul. And the same is true of ourselves, as I've said, because salvation is not of our own merit. We, we don't deserve to be saved. We never could deserve to be saved. Uh, Paul tells us, he says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he had loved us, that's verse four and on to verse five, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. See, what, what Paul's saying here is that we never have and never will deserve to be saved. There's nothing we can do that deserves salvation. We are, as, as John Newton describes, wretches, but that through the grace of God, we are saved. Through that grace and that grace alone. So I'm aware that I've been talking quite a lot about this word grace uh, so far, and I'm going to continue to do so. Um, but perhaps at this stage I should, as we've hit verse 5, um, and where it says, by grace you've been saved, discuss what this word grace means. Well, Paul's um, idea here that he takes a pause in his, his message to say this, uh, this break where he says, by grace you've been saved. He then picks up again in, in verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. So what can we tell about, about grace from that? Well, firstly, it, we can tell that grace is what saves us. As I've said already uh, about John Newton, about the Apostle Paul, and about us too, it's grace that saves us. Uh, some translations change this verse to say, for uh, by grace you've been justified through faith. And it's this idea that we were unjust and then we were made just. As, as before a court of law, someone unjust is, is deserving of punishment, we are no longer seen to be unjust, but we are now seen to be just. We are seen to be uh, saved from the... the consequences of our our wrongdoing and that's why this this word just is also to be justified is also to be translated as saved uh, we also read that it's saved through faith i'll i'll come back to that in a second um because it then goes on to say this is not your own doing it is the gift of god and this this gift of god is referring to the whole process the whole process of salvation of of rescuing us from being dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked to now being in Christ. It's all a gift, a gift from God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. And this we've already said um, is because the, our salvation is, is in grace alone. And uh, really Paul's just emphasizing that point here by, by saying it's not of works since uh, works and, and grace really uh, contradict each other. Uh, Romans 11 and 6 tells us, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So that's really what Paul's saying here as well, as in Romans, is that it's by grace and grace alone. Um, so this salvation by grace, how do we receive it? Well, as I said, it's a gift. 
And the thing with gifts is gifts require acceptance. I've got a tie on today. Andy suggested I was wearing this tie because I'm speaking, but I'm wearing it as an object lesson because this tie was a Christmas present to me. And this tie wouldn't do me very much good if I hadn't accepted the Christmas present. If I'd said, no thanks, I'm good, I don't want that tie, then I wouldn't be wearing it today, I wouldn't be getting any use out of it. See, that's the thing with gifts, is gifts require acceptance. And now coming back to this, this, by grace you've been saved through faith. And that's saying faith in Christ Jesus. See, not only does a gift require acceptance, but this gift is from Christ. And you can't accept a gift if you don't believe the giver exists. See, I accepted this gift of the tie uh, from my parents, but if I said, no, I, and if someone had, had come to me and uh, had given this through a third party and they'd said, I've got a gift for you from your parents, and I said, I don't think my parents exist. I, I've never had parents. I don't know what parents are. Then it's kind of hard to accept a gift from them without acknowledging who they are. And so it's the same with this. You can't accept a gift from Christ without acknowledging who Christ is, without knowing Christ, without having faith in Christ. But the thing about a gift is that it's a gift, you know? We don't need to worry about, about losing this gift, about uh, losing our salvation, about um, returning to the state of being dead in trespasses and sins because it was given to us, as, I, as I've said already, not of our own merit. And therefore, we cannot lose it um, by, by ourselves falling short because we fall short anyways. Um, the next aspect of, of the, the hymn and of this passage I want to focus on is in the, the third verse, um, John Newton says, Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and, and grace will lead me home. See, I've, I've just spoken there of how, how grace saves us, but it does a lot more than just save us. See, John Newton says, his grace has brought me safe thus far. He doesn't say grace saved him and then he was left to do his own thing and to try and keep it up by himself. He says that grace has brought him thus far. It's brought him from salvation up to where he is currently at the point of writing that hymn. It's hard to think about how much grace does for us. Um... I recently heard it described that the best way to establish the gulf that has been crossed by grace that takes us from that past state of, of wretchedness to where we are now is to simply look back at it. If you want to establish how much grace has done for you, look at the gulf that grace has crossed for you. Maybe this um, picture will help. I, I went on a hike with, with Drew uh, and some, some other friends recently. And I, I didn't have a map, drew the map. Um, and I didn't know where we were going. I didn't know where I was being led. Um, and as I walk along this path, I, don't, I still didn't know where I was going. And I didn't really know where I'd come from either, to be honest. I was a bit disoriented. But at one point, I, we got to an elevated position. We climbed halfway up a... A mountain. I turned around and I could see before me the, the valley that we just walked all the way along 
and, and the path up the hill to where we were. And I could say, well, that's where I've come from. I can see all the distance that I've done to where I am now. And I, couldn't, I can't do that without looking back and establishing that. Without looking back and saying, that's where I've come from, I can't establish the amount of uh, effort, the amount of work that's gone into getting me to where I am now. But of course, in the, in the case of our salvation, uh, this is grace that does this work, not ourselves. All I should say is, as we look back, salvation is that first step that we're looking back to. We're looking back to the time when we were saved uh, from our, our state of wretchedness, from our state of being dead in our trespasses. See, salvation is an instantaneous and immediate thing. But as we look back at what grace has, has brought us through, we can see that whilst we were saved then, we are then continually being brought, brought closer to God and continually being made more like Christ is the, is the plan that's been set out here, if you like. So this, this making of, of Christians, as, as they're called once they're saved, more like Christ, uh, is done, as John Newton says at the start of that verse, through many dangers, toils, and snares. See, if I want to uh, develop Christ-like characteristics, uh, let's say I want to develop patience. Let's say I'm trying to become more patient. I don't become more patient by uh, being given patience. I become more patient by being given opportunity to work on my patience and to practice my patience and to develop my patience so that I then become more like Christ in that area. And that to me is what these dangers and, and toils are, is these difficulties perhaps that result in us becoming more like Christ. But all this is by grace. That's central to everything that I have to say today is that uh, this becoming more like Christ through these dangers, toils and snares is all by grace. Uh, Christ tells us of a, a parable in the Gospels. Christ tells us of a wise and a foolish builder. And the, the two builders are building their houses and the wise builder, he builds his house on, on a rock and the foolish builder, he builds his house on the sand. And there's a storm that comes. And this, this storm and this difficulty that, that hits them, it's not the quality of the house they've built that matters, it's the foundation. See, the man whose house was on the sand collapsed and the man whose house was on the rock, it stood firm. Now, this doesn't happen instantaneously. We're not told that they built their houses and it was the next day that this storm took place. They could have perhaps lived together as neighbors for years before uh, the storm that took out the, the house on the sand arrived. So there was opportunity there to, to move onto the right foundation. Not only that, but we're also not told what these houses were like. Perhaps both the houses were literally identical in every single way. Perhaps the wise builder's house looked a lot nicer. Perhaps you would walk past and say, oh, that's a nice house. That's a much better house than that, that shed on the sand. Or perhaps it was the other way around. Perhaps you would look at the, the house on the sand and you would say, that is some house. Perhaps it was some sort of, of beach villa. And the guy that built his house on the rock, well... He's not a very good builder. 
But it wasn't the building that mattered. It was the foundation. And that foundation is, is Christ. That foundation is grace that, that brings us through these dangerous toils and snares. So while, while John Newton focuses on our, our difficulties on earth uh, and, and how grace brings us through them, Paul says, well, yes, grace brings us through difficulties on earth, but grace has also lifted us up to heaven already. He says in verse 6, uh, we are raised up with him, as with, with God and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, we're, we're seated with God and our, our status is in Christ. Paul uh, develops a similar thought later in verse 13 and says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we're brought near, by the way, that's us brought near to God, not God brought to us. Uh, that is that God is, is unchanging and perfect. God can't dwell with sin, but we are uh, made to be so that we can draw near to God. Uh, so we've got here the, the in Christ, that we are, we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ, and we're brought near by the blood of Christ. I got a quote the other day uh, that I saw, and it, it's by A.W. Tozer, and it says, The only sin Jesus ever had was ours. And the only righteousness we can ever have is his. The only sin Jesus ever had was ours. That's, that's how we, we come to the state we're in. That's, that's by, by Christ. That's by the blood of Christ. And the only righteousness we can ever have is his. That's in Christ. That's us now in a position where we are resting in his righteousness. And because of that, we... We, we can dwell near to God. So great, I've told you that, that grace saved us, that grace took us out of that state of wretchedness and grace has brought us to where we are now. Why? Why, why did God show this grace? Why did God save us from our wretchedness? Why did he take us to where we are now? And, and what does this mean going forward? Well, John Newton finishes that verse. After his grace has brought me safe thus far, he says, and grace will lead me home. Uh, that, that home being, being heaven, that home uh, for a Christian being their eternal dwelling with God. Uh, verse 7 tells us that the purpose of these things is so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us. In Christ Jesus. See, uh, when I was on that hike with Drew, going back to this point, and you'd said, well, where is it that this path is leading you? I would say, I've got no idea. And it was, it was only once I reached the destination that I can then understand the, the fullness of, of that, that journey. And so with grace, we can never understand the fullness of grace without understanding the fullness of what grace does for us um that's what this passage is saying when it says uh the immeasurable riches of grace in kindness towards us in christ jesus when we when we reach our home when we reach heaven when we see all the all that that has been done for us in christ and we can look back at that gulf that's been crossed and at that point the gulf is so great it becomes immeasurable we can then establish that the grace that that crosses this gulf is also immeasurable the immeasurable riches. By this stage, we 
we can't even fathom where we're being led. And therefore, can't fathom the, the fullness of that grace, although we understand what it's done for us so far. Um, yeah, this, this last line of that verse, grace will lead me home. So that's, that's the home that, that grace is leading us to, but there's this, this leading stage. So we've been taken up to here, and we've seen the end result of where grace is taking us, but there's this in-between stage, from now until home, from now until we reach heaven. What, what do we do? What does grace do? Well, Paul concludes this section by saying, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. His, his workmanship, uh, this, this phrase is uh, literally in the original language, meaning his, his poem. I think that's a wonderful picture. You know, that we are his workmanship, his poem, that, that this is what the grace has done for us, that once we are saved, we then, uh, we are being made more like Christ, as I've said already, this idea of his workmanship draws my mind to, to carpentry. And we can think of Christ as he was here on earth. His father was a carpenter and he would do that profession until the age of 30 when he began his public ministry. And, and in that role, he would take a block of wood and he would see it not for for the wood that it was, but he would see it for what it could be. And he would, he would sculpt it and he would, he would chisel it and he would change it so that it became what, what he'd intended on it being. And that's what I see in this, this idea of us being his workmanship, is that, that we are being continually made more like Christ, that Christ sees us not for the wretch we were, even then, back as that wretch, he did not see us for the wretch we were, he saw us for what we could be in Christ. And yet in another sense, it's completely different from that, from that carpentry, because it says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. See, we're not just an improvement of the old. It's not just a development of what we once were to make it better. It's a completely new creation. In Christ Jesus now, we are unrecognizable for what we once were. And it's not just, it's not this process of, of grace that, that does that. It's the second we are saved, we become this new creation. We become a new being in Christ, created. And we're created with a purpose, created in Christ Jesus for good works, it says. And this biblical idea of good works is um, different from, I would say, the the, the world's idea of good works. When I talk of good works, you think of, uh, perhaps you think of um, feeding homeless people, or perhaps you think of voluntary work, or perhaps you think of uh, any form of, of, of selfless endeavor. But in the Bible, good works entails a lot more than that. See, good works in the Bible refer to works which are done for God. Uh, things that are done with the intention of serving God. So yes, these things that I've mentioned would perhaps be included as good works, but there's so much more than that in our life that can be good works. Uh, your job itself is, is a good work if you do it to the service of God. And that's, that's what we're created for, is to do all things unto the service of God. And we're, we're prepared for that. It says, 
which God prepared beforehand. God prepared not just the worker, but also the work. He prepared both. And he, he prepares a path before us uh, that we should walk in them, it says. God, God prepares this path. He, he builds this path before us. He prepares us for the path and he prepares the path itself so that we can, we can walk in these things, that we can do these, these services for God. This, this is, tells us that not only our, our salvation, which I've said is of grace, is, is of God and not of ourselves, but our works themselves are, are of God as well. Now, that's not to take away from people that do, do services to God by no means, because we do have a choice. It's not that, it's not that our salvation and our work are, are both things which are planned beforehand and there's, there's no way we can, we can sway that. See, it says that we should walk in them. It doesn't say that we will walk in them. It doesn't say that we have to walk in them, that we're being forced to walk in them. It says that we should walk in them. We have a choice in, in whether we, we walk in that path that God has set before us or not. Uh, that, that path, that that route that has been uh, carved out, that has been set in place by God, is one that we can hardly understand. That path that, that takes us to, to home. Uh, just as I've said, we can't fathom where, where grace is taking us in the end, home. We can also hardly begin to imagine that in-between place of, of where grace is leading us just now. First Corinthians 2 and 9 says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who loved us, loved him, sorry. See, this, this path that God's prepared for us is one we can hardly begin to understand. And yet we know wherever that path leads during our life, we know where it's going to as a final destination, is that, that, that home that the, where we can see the, the fullness of the grace and what it has done for us. We can see his immeasurable riches. So this, this path, as, as I reach my, my concluding note, this, this path that's set before us, uh, that we sometimes struggle to see. I want to make some practical applications about how we, we can follow this path. See, um, Joshua in the Old Testament was a man who was tasked with taking Israel into the promised land. His, his purpose was to lead the people into the place where God had told them he was going to take them, uh, to follow that path that God had set before them. And therefore, we can find lots of applications in Joshua's book uh, for how we uh, follow through with, with God's will for us, if you like. Uh, right at the, the start of the book, uh, the Jordan River divides the, the promised land that Israel were given from the people themselves, and God tells them to walk through the river. He says, that's the path I've set before you. And the priests, they would stand at the edge of the Jordan, and they can't see a path. They see a river. And God tells them to take a step into that river. And as they take that first step into that path that they can't see, it opens up. And it becomes a route that they can walk through. And, and sometimes we can feel like that. Sometimes perhaps we, we can't see that path before us. But God has put that path there. We can also think further on in the book of the Battle of Jericho. Jericho was one of the many cities that... Uh, 
had to be conquered by Israel as they were taking this promised land and uh, taking what was given to them by God. And they were commanded to walk around the city. And perhaps sometimes we can feel stagnant in our path. Perhaps sometimes we feel like we're walking in circles. You know, you can imagine by the third or fourth time around that city, they'd be thinking, what are we doing here? But eventually, just as God had planned it, once they'd walked around that city, as many times as God had set before them, the city would collapse. There's another city that uh, Joshua and the people of Israel had to take at the, the Battle of Ai. And they, they went to attack these people the first time, and they got defeated. So many Israelites killed, and they went back to their, their camp, and they were told that uh, the reason they, this had happened was because a uh, certain family within Israel had gone against what, what God had told them in, in a previous uh, endeavor, and that was dealt with, and God said, okay, now you can go and take Ai. You can imagine as as the Israelites would be walking up to that fight, they would they would know that they'd been there before. They could they could walk up to that battle and they could they could get a sense of, of deja vu almost, feeling we've we've come to this fight before and it did not end well for us. But it did end well for them. They took the city as as God had planned it and uh and eventually went on to take the promised land. So, this path is set before us. As we, as we enter the new year, let us look back at the grace that's been shown to us over uh, 2023 and before, and our salvation itself as we look back on that. And let us in light of that desire to walk in, in this, this path that God has set before us. And as we do so, let's look forward to this, this future that, that John Newton describes so well in his hymn, Amazing Grace, in those final three verses. Uh, those final three verses, uh, let me read them out again. The Lord has promised good to me, his word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail, a mortal life shall cease. I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever mine. I'll just to say uh, in closing that that future is there for us as, as Christians. And if you're not a Christian just now, that, that future could be yours too. As long as you accept Christ and, and accept that grace and accept that gift, uh, this could all be yours as well. Uh, so I'll perhaps close in prayer now, and then that's me done. Uh, dear God, as we come before you again, uh, we thank you for this time that we could spend together today considering your word, uh, considering all the things you have done for us, Lord, and in your grace and all the things you are continuing to do for us and will do for us. Uh, this this grace we are so undeserving of, this grace that, uh, that saved us from our, our state of sin, that saved us from uh, our deserved destiny of hell, Lord. Uh, we thank you for it. And so we pray at the, the close of this new year, Lord, 
uh, the close of 2023 as we, we go into the new year. We pray that you would help us to keep this grace at the forefront of our minds, to keep you at the forefront of our minds. Uh, that as we go into this new year, we would walk in that path that has been set before us, uh, that we would desire to serve you in all that we do. And so we ask these things again in the name of your Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.